We're going we're gonna to keep it going here. If you would, open to, uh, to John chapter 1. If we haven't met, I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Christ Covenant. This is Jordan Coughlin. He is also one of the pastors on staff at Christ Covenant. And super excited to have Caitlin and Ben up here tonight. Way to go, guys. Um, <clears throat> let's do this. Let's uh, turn to John chapter 1. Stand with me as I read to you the scriptures tonight. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory, the glory as of only, the only son from the Father, full of grace, and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. As we look at the attributes of God, I know that some of you are similar to where I was not too long ago, and you're thinking, what is an attribute of God? Well, last week we looked at God's justice and his mercy. This week we're going to look at the grace of God. Let me just tell you, an attribute is not something that God possesses. For instance, some of you possess a talent. You're like, hey, I I'm good at drawing things. Hey, I'm good with my eye-hand coordination. Hey, I'm good at liking things on my phone. Um, I am, I'm good at looking good. Like you have like things about you. You're just like, everybody has a, has a thing, a gift. You possess those things, but that's not who you are. The difference between, I think the chasm between us and God and understanding God is really, really big. One of the ways that we, and obviously we'll never fully understand the Lord, otherwise he would be not God because God is incomprehensible, but he's given us clues to know him. The problem is we just, all of a sudden, we impose ourselves on our thoughts and ideas of God. And so like in Psalm 50 verse 21, the Lord says, I am not a man like you thought I was. God says, actually, he says, I kind of remained quiet on the issue, and you thought I was like you. But the scripture says, the Lord says, no, I am not like you. 
So one of the big, big chasms, one of the big leaps to, to jump ahead and say, how do I know the living God? How do I know him? Not just like know about him. How do I have this personal relationship with him? How do I hear from him? How do I live and move and breathe in him? One of the best ways to do it is to kind of start to divorce my frailty and my finiteness by understanding this about God. He doesn't possess some things. He is those things. Like somebody is nice to you, so you all of a sudden are kind back. Somebody like the guy in the big giant white truck behind me today who laid on the horn for like, I don't know, a solid long time, and I was going, like I was going. Like I, was, I possessed something other than kindness at that point. We were going to Home Depot. I had to get a new trailer hitch because we're having to pull all these trailers around. And, uh, and I was on the phone with a buddy of mine, and I was like, I'm going to go park right next to him. And, uh, and I didn't. I was like, no, I'm not going to. Um, because, you know what? Because I'm fickle. That's the thing about me. That's the thing about you. Some of you are really self-controlled, and so you're, like, pretty steady. Some of you are like, who knows? Every day is like Russian roulette. You're like, wonder who I'll be this morning. Like, people at your work are like, oh, boy, do we talk to them or do we not? Like, you know, like, we all have a little bit of that in us. The Lord has none of that in him. If he had those things in him, he would be a Greek or Roman god. We wouldn't know who we were getting or what we were going to get or what today might look like. And just because today looked one way, we'd have no way of knowing if tomorrow was going to be any better or worse. But one of the incredible things about God, he doesn't possess mercy and justice like we looked at last week. He is mercy and justice all the time. And so this week, we're going to look at the grace of God. And the grace of God is something that he, it's not something he has. It's not like God says, hey, I have a little grace for you. Now, he does give us grace, but grace is something he is. And to me, it's one of the most marvelous attributes about the Lord, and yet one of the most incomprehensible attributes about the Lord. So let's just get down to brass tacks here. I know you haven't had... uh, Lots of opportunities to meet all the people at your table unless you ate together, but I'm going to give you a chance to talk with each other three different times throughout this evening, and here's the first one. Last week, if you weren't here, that's okay. We looked at mercy. This week, we're looking at grace. I know we haven't talked anything about what is grace just yet, but I want you to go ahead and try to differentiate between the two. What is mercy versus grace? How would you separate those two things? Because in the scriptures, it is clear they are two different things, and God is both of those. So, ready? Around the table. Chat for a minute. And be sure to introduce yourselves if you haven't done that yet. All right, let's hear… Let's hear a few few responses. All right. Hello. Ansley's going to come around. I'd like to hear from three or four tables. Just briefly, like, what is the difference between, oh, right here, between mercy and grace? Let's hear. So the best summary we came up with was that grace is getting something that you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. All right. We are finished with tonight. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I definitely am going to use that in a sermon. 
You might have the greatest microphone voice I've ever heard, by the way. All right, no pressure for the next microphone voice. Somebody over here, right here, what table? Anybody, anybody, there we go, front row. All right, so we... Jesse, you got a, a woo from a dude. Uh, like, thank you, way. thank you very much. Yeah, it's awesome, okay. All right, so we kind of interpret it as uh, mercy being like kind of specific individual instances of um, you know, not receiving some sort of punishment, whereas grace seems more like a constant um, like trait or attribute. I think that's good, that's good. Hitting on the same, all right, here we go. Same idea, I like that. I'm Nicholas. We pretty much had the same idea. Uh, mercy, not getting what you deserve. But grace, we were thinking just a free gift. It's something that you, you got, you didn't deserve it, but gift. Kind of like Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Don't steal the whole message, Nicholas. That's good, yeah. All right, in the back, I see that hand. There we go. There, there um, we go. Yeah, I mean, we came up with the same thing, but like, I guess an analogy for it. So like if you got in a car accident and you hit someone else, mercy would be them telling you like, even though you hit me, you don't have to pay to fix my car. But then grace would be if they said like, oh, you hit me, but I'll pay to fix my car and I'll pay to fix yours. Georgia Tech kids. I mean, <laughs> come on, that's good. That's great. Okay. Ansley, keep that mic. You can turn it off just so we can't hear your whole table. But we're going to come back and you're going to use that again in a minute. This is great. So let's, I've got a few different definitions, a few, a few ways to kind of spell this out. It's going to go along with a lot of what you just said. So mercy is the goodness, kindness, faithfulness. That's what we looked at last week. That's if we go back to the Greek, we go back to the Hebrew. It's this idea of what you're talking about where, hey, uh, God lessens the consequence or removes the consequence of something. The kicker is, it's something I know I've done. Mercy can only happen if you know you did something. That's a really big thing about mercy. Like, you can extend mercy, you can receive mercy, but you got to know what it's about. So, mercy, there's already an infraction that's occurred, and we know that fraction has incurred. So, mercy is God's pardon or lessening of sin is another way to put that. Now, grace, grace is God's imparting goodness to both atone for sin and give strength to follow him. This is a really important aspect of grace. It's, where, it's really where the road separates from mercy. Grace is an opportunity for the Lord to give you the strength to do what you're supposed to do. Mercy always comes when something bad has happened. We associate grace also with coming when something bad has happened, like we sin and the grace of Jesus makes us right with God. But I'm gonna show you in just a second, there's multiple places, especially in the New Testament, where grace is imparted on a group of people, not so they can stop sinning, but that they can, that, so that they can start doing what God has in front of them. That's, the, that's one of the big differentiations between grace and mercy. Grace certainly covers over stuff, removes stuff, 
but it also gives us power to do certain things that God is calling us to do. So let's, in fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you, if you're, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to know this. Uh, for instance, in this one eye, if I could just cover this eye, everything would be great. Um, in uh, the book of, where is it? Oh, there we go. To the church of uh, Colossa, the church of Corinth, the church of Thessalonica, the letter to Philemon, the church in Galatia, the church in Philippi. Every one of those letters that Paul writes, he starts off every one of those letters in the same way. He says, the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. Now, you would only need to say, may the grace, if like Hannah, I just made eye contact with Hannah. Hannah, if, I see that hand, there you go. Raise your hand so everybody knows what I'm talking about. There we go, there's Hannah, all right. Okay, that was a, like, that was a pageant wave, that was great. Okay, so if I, every time Hannah saw me, she said, Thomas, the grace of the Lord be on you. I could easily think she's like saying, Thomas, I know you're very sinful. And so may God constantly forgive you. But I want us to not associate always grace and forgiveness. There is forgiveness with grace, but when God, in, when God imparts his grace on us, it's beyond forgiveness. That's why Paul, if Hannah, now if I had a right understanding biblically, and Hannah said, Thomas, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. Every time she saw me, what she would be saying biblically is, Thomas, may God give you the power to do his will. That's what grace really is. It's the impartation of the Lord to get us to do his will. Think about it in salvation. If it is his will that I be his child, he imparts his grace upon me, and I come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I become his child. If it is his will, and it is, that as his child, I no longer walk in the old ways, but I walk in the new way, he imparts his grace upon me so that I have the strength to walk in the way that he wants me to walk. That's why Paul started almost every one of his letters with, may the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. So let's take a look. Uh, in John chapter 1, uh, I'll give you one more example real quick as we roll into John chapter 1. If you haven't turned there, if, if you've closed it or not uh, logged on to it, go to John chapter 1. You actually ask for the grace of the Lord every time you say the Lord's Prayer. Anybody, anybody religiously say the Lord's Prayer? Anybody? All right. I do too, all three of us. Yeah, I almost say... I almost say the Lord's Prayer every day. I love to say, I mean, there's a reason it's in there. I love to say the Lord's Prayer. But when I pray, lead us not into temptation, what I'm asking for is God's grace to be on my life. I'm not saying forgive me for giving into temptation. I'm saying, God, lead me not into temptation. What am I asking for? I'm asking for the same thing Paul proclaimed to all the churches that he wrote letters to. I'm saying, God, I need your grace to do your will because I can't do it on my own. So grace is all through the New Testament, some with the word grace, but some with the idea of grace all over in it. And it is God empowering people to be the people he wanted them to be in the first place, whether it is salvific grace or whether it is grace for obedience in the Christian life. So let's take a look at John chapter one because in John one, what we see is Jesus is the incarnation of grace. How does it start? 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him. Without him, not anything was made, or not anything made was made without him. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pause right there. In John chapter 1, verse 4, the idea of grace is starting to permeate. See, so when you had the car wreck illustration, that's really good, and that is definitely mercy. Grace would be, I didn't even know I hit you. You see, grace comes in, grace is a light that shines into the darkness. You see, we need God's grace because we don't even know we're dead. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses. How does a dead person even know to ask for mercy? We're not even aware we're dead. You look around the city of Atlanta. Do you think that most of the city of Atlanta knows that they are dead people walking under the judgment of God through his justice, which is the right thing? We all deserve to be judged by God, removed to hell for all eternity, because we are sinful and separated and rebellious against God, even if we don't know it. And so what is Jesus? He's the incarnation of grace. He, he is the light that shines in the darkness. Do you think dark knows that it's dark? No, it's just dark. Dark didn't know it was dark until light came in. That's what Jesus is. He's the incarnation of God. And what does he do? He interrupts the darkness. So grace is an interrupter. Grace is uninvited. It just happens. And so the light shines in the darkness. And what happens to the darkness? The darkness does not overcome it. When the grace of God interrupts a life, the life doesn't win. When the grace of God interrupts someone's life, that life is forever interrupted. I remember as a high school kid, 17 years old, at Covenant College, in, uh, in the little chapel at Covenant College at our high school youth retreat or summer camp, and I was just having a good time with my buddies. I stole a guy's Hawaiian shirt. I was wearing the Hawaiian shirt. I, he was like a size 7X, and I thought it was hilarious. He was one of our youth leaders. I was like, I was cool in like a youth group sense. Um, and so... Like, you know, I had that shirt, and I was sitting there, and I just remember the end of the night, the guy said, bow your head and close your eyes. I had done that a bajillion times. I had bowed my head and closed my eyes. I would have told you over and over again I was a Christian, so I bowed my head and I closed my eyes, and I am telling you, the light shined into the darkness in my life. The grace of God completely interrupted me. I didn't know it was dark until the light shined in. I didn't even know I needed mercy. Mercy happens after grace. I didn't, to use the car wreck illustration, I didn't know that I had smashed into 100 cars in the parking lot. Like, it was the grace of God that interrupted my life. He shined his light into the darkness, and I never asked him to do it. He just interrupted me. Do you think in Jerusalem, in A.D. 6 or so, when Jesus was born, 
the vast majority of the world were like, please, God, send your son. That's what we need. No, the vast majority of the world was just like it is today. The vast majority of the world was saying, I just want to live for me. I want to live for my family. I want to live for my friends. They had no idea to even ask for God to incarnate his son. So Jesus, the embodiment of grace, proves to us that grace is an uninvited but much-needed interruption. So, the light, it shines in the darkness. We go on, we skip a few verses, and it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What does it say? It says in there that the children of God weren't even born by the will of men. It's continual proof in here. Jesus is the interrupter. He came into the world to save the world, and people were like, excuse me, sir, can you move out of my way? It's my turn to go get the matzah. Like, I, I, I was in line first for the hummus. And he's like, I'm here to save the world. People were like, I'm, yeah, but I'm here to get the hummus. And, uh, and so, like, he, but it didn't deter him because his grace is stronger than our blindness. His grace is stronger than our human stupor that we all walk around in. The mercy of God is something we all need when we realize that we've blown it. The grace of God is what we need when we didn't even know we needed it. What does Romans 5, 8 say? It says, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were looking for a Savior, not while we were hoping for a Savior. That's why we write things like amazing grace, because it is amazing. It's incomprehensibly amazing. I didn't even know I needed it, and then I got it, and I can't believe that I ever even tried to live without it. I didn't even want it, and God gave me his grace. And now all I want is to be in the light of the Lord. But to continue in the Lord, I continually need his grace to give me the strength to press on. And so grace starts and brings someone to Christ, but grace, the grace of God continues and propels people to continue to live for him. And by the way, that might be the first time some of you have heard the idea that grace is also uh, a verb that pushes people. It's a part of God that pushes people to continue on to do the will of God but it's actually just a continuation of what he starts. He started to save us. In Philippians, it says that he will not stop until he's completed the work he began in us, and so God's grace is needed in our life to continue to make us and shape us into the image of him who we were called to be in the first place. And so we go on here. It says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Last week, as we talked about justice and mercy, this week we look at grace. Grace doesn't work without truth. That's why God is always truth, and he is always grace. He is the, it takes the two to work together. Because what happens? When I was 17 years old and I came to Christ, I wasn't like, oh, yes, I have this heavenly vision of Jesus. Thank you. I'll walk with him. No. What happened was God showed me the truth. The truth was I was sinful and separated from him. The truth was that's why I had been to a thousand church services, but there was zero change in my life. I had to see the, the hard, cold reality. The hard, cold reality was I didn't treat women well. I used my buddies to get what I wanted. Sports were my God. It was all these things. God used this. I mean, he's, he hit me in the face with the truth. And simultaneously, he said, and you need my grace, and I'm going to give you my grace. And that's when, as the psalmist says, he pulled me from the miry clay. It always works like that. If you've ever been in church, in fact, I prayed today, I prayed today that some of you would be convicted about stuff that we're not even talking about tonight. And if you get convicted about something we're not even talking about tonight, it's a sign that, that the fullness of Christ is working in you. He is full of grace and truth. And so you can be assured if you are convicted about something, that is the truth of God hitting you. And right beside that truth is going to be the grace of God ready to redeem you and rescue you. That's why Jesus was so hard on people, because he was telling them the truth. But he wasn't just telling them the truth to show them they were wrong. He was telling them the truth so they would wake up and say, what's happening? And the grace of God would enter into their lives. And so we go on. In the, the word becomes flesh. He dwells among us. We have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Uh, verse 16, For from the fullness, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is an amazing idea, and I can't claim to understand this. The only way that we could really see the distance we had traveled from God in our rebellion and sin was for God to make himself into one of us. For he was fully man and fully God at the same time. And as he becomes fully man and fully God at the same time, he pours out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And it never runs out, no matter how far we run off. And then John wraps up this section by saying, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do for just a second around your table. Just looking at John 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 17, if the law came through Moses and grace comes through Jesus, this is just a little theological trivia for you. How were the people before Jesus in the Old Testament, how were they saved? All right, ready? Break. All right. Ansley, are you ready? We got the red mic, Brandon. Yeah. Okay. 
She's ready. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it from the young theologians. Raise your hand. I saw some hands quickly hit the table. Ansley looks like she's found someone. Oh, Kylie. All right. Um, Whoa. Yeah, so it's loud. In the New Testament, people were saved by faith in something that had already happened. But in the Old Testament, they were saved because they had faith in the Messiah that was going to come. Like Abraham was credited as righteous because of the faith that he had in the Lord, believing that the Messiah would come, sacrifice for their sins, and was saved because of it. Kylie, that's really good. Have you explained that to your girls? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you ever get those questions from your high school kids? Do you ever get those questions from your high school kids? No, but I did at the Institute panel. Ah, nice. Okay, somebody else. Maybe a different take on it or a different way to say it. Side note, that is the right answer. There we go. All right, Drew. I'm going to agree with her, but... Uh, Something we talked about in James 2 is... Side note, congratulations on your engagement. It's been like three days. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's God's grace. Um, <laughs> so uh, in James 2, it says if you, uh, if you l- try to live up to the law, but you don't, if you violate it in one way, you're then held accountable for the entire law. And so there's no way that anybody in the Old Testament could be saved any other way. Um, apart from faith, because if they even messed up in one way, then they're accountable for the whole law. So that's an aspect of So what, I think you're spot on. Let me just go ahead, and since I got you with a microphone here, why in John 1 would the comparison even be made? The law comes through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Christ. What's the point of bringing in the law 1,500 years or so before Christ? To reveal that we are sinful, to reveal that we can't. That we don't meet God's standard. I think you're spot on. a boy. Way to go. Way to go. Anybody else? Oh, I see that hand. Cassidy Cook in the back there. Wait, this is not a, this is not a Q&A. This is not a Q&A. Uh, so our table talked about similar topics. Yeah. But then we kind of went to... If, if they were saved by faith in the Old Testament, but Christ hadn't died yet, where were they in the interim? Okay, ready? I got my stopwatch on. This is going to be a rabbit trail, so two minutes. Ready, set, go. Okay, there's a story about Abraham and Lazarus in Luke 18, I think. Isn't it Luke 18? I'm looking... 16, that's right, my favorite, my favorite little parable, or is it a parable? Nobody knows. Abraham and Lazarus, great story. One guy dies, goes to hell. One guy dies and goes to paradise, also known as Abraham's bosom. He's there with, he's there with Abraham. The guy who dies and goes to hell is right there in hell. The guy who goes to hell can talk to the guy in Abraham's bosom or paradise. 
They can talk back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. He says, Father Abraham, please have him dip his finger in the pool and sling me water so that I can get a drink, which shows that the guy who died and went to hell never changed. He was bossy in this life and he was bossy in the next. He dies, he goes to hell. The rich man is in hell. Lazarus is in, is in paradise. They're talking to one another. They're hanging out, but they can't visit one another because there's a great chasm. Where did Jesus say he was going to go when he died on the cross? He said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. What did Jesus say to Mary when he came out of the tomb? He said, Mary, do not touch me for I have not yet been with my father. Jesus did not go to heaven when he died. I also don't think he went to hell when he died. I think he suffered all that he needed to suffer while he was on the cross, bearing our shame, bearing our sins, bearing our weakness and our frailties. It says that he went and he preached to those who were in prison, I think he went down to paradise, Abraham's bosom. He preached to those folks who already had faith that he would come, like Kylie said, but their sins had been covered over, their sins had not been removed because it takes the grace of God on the cross to remove our sins from us. There was the promise of the removal that would come, but the promise came when Jesus died on the cross. Now, paradise is empty. Those folks have gone to be with the Lord in heaven. The a proof of that is the resurrection where the people who had died before, some of them came out of the tombs and they're walking around. So these folks are walking around after Jesus has, uh, has died on the cross and risen. It's a pretty amazing scenario. But beforehand, you couldn't go to heaven because your sins had only been promised to be forgiven. And so you were in paradise, but now I believe paradise is empty, hell is not. Now, once we die, we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord. Okay, end of story. All right, there we go, three minutes, sorry. Does that help? Okay, great, there we go. Okay, so what you may not know is that grace is mentioned in the Old Testament. Just like a couple of you said, just like Drew said, just like Kylie said, grace was a present in the Old Testament. Jesus was not yet manifest in human form in the Old Testament, but grace was present. The word grace that you're going to see in your ESV in particular is the word favor. It says in Exodus or in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah found favor with God. The King James actually has this one right. It doesn't have some things right, but it has this right. The King James actually uses the word grace, and it is a good translation. It says that Noah found grace in God's sight. In Exodus 33, when God reveals himself to Moses, God says in Exodus 33:17, Moses, you have found grace in my sight. The ESV uses the word favor. Grace and favor go kind of hand in hand. He says, you have found grace in my sight, and therefore I'm going to reveal myself to you. The grace of God is in the Old Testament, but the grace of God is not manifest all the time. We just see glimpses of it. It's there all the time, but it's not manifest all the time. Now that Jesus came and the Holy Spirit is around all the time, the grace of God is present all the time for people to experience all the time. So you have the promise in the Old Testament, the completion in the New Testament, and now we see grace being lived out in the church over and over again. 
And so I think there's a really cool compare contrast that we can do. And this is going to be the last little time around the tables to discuss. Last week, we looked at Psalm 89, 14, and it talks about the foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness. And then it says, but mercy flows out of the throne. And then we have something really, really interesting. That's pre-Jesus, that verse, Psalm 89, 14. Once we get to the New Testament, and once Jesus has already come, died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes, we're told something different about the throne. And so I'd really like for you to compare and contrast these two verses. Hebrews 14, 6, compared with Psalm I think it, no, I'm sorry, it shouldn't be 14. There's not 14 chapters in Hebrews. It should be Hebrews 4, 6, I believe. Uh, remember, I have like one eye that works. I think it's Hebrews 4, 6 compared with Psalm 89, 14. I'm confirming real quick. It's kind of embarrassing. Oh, it's Hebrews 6.14, right? I'm talking about, what is it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you. That was my dyslexic moment there. Okay. It's Hebrews 4, 16. I just put, I put out all the right numbers. Yeah. If you ask, like, how's my eye, now you know. That's it. Okay. Let us draw, the, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's what I want you to do. I want you to compare and contrast Hebrews 4, 16 and Psalm 89, 14. Again, Looking at the pre-Jesus promise of what is the th or comp like what is the throne, the justice, mercy, truth, all coming out of the throne, and then once Jesus raises from the dead, ascends to heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes, what is the compare contrast view of the throne of God? Take a look at that for a second. It's a really cool thought. All right, about 60 more seconds. So let me, for the sake of time, I'll just give you a 30,000-foot view on this. What we see in Psalm 89 is basically this throne that's awesome and powerful and wonderful and yet we could never approach. And what we see after an encounter with the grace of Christ is that that throne, that because the foundation is justice and righteousness, we can now view it as a friend. And we're welcome to be right at the base of the throne of God. 
It's not called a throne of fear and terror and wonder and awe, even though it is those things. It is a throne of grace. And that's a pretty amazing thing that there's this throne of grace. If God didn't operate in grace, we'd all be dead. That's just the stone-cold reality of it. If he didn't operate in grace, we don't deserve to be here anyway. I think what I see in grace is that the compare-contrast, going back to how we started, that mercy is something we seek, but grace is something that comes seeking. Mercy is invited in, God, would you have mercy on me, and grace intrudes. Yesterday, I woke up and I had something happen that I've never had happen before. Um, I can't, at least I can't ever recall this. It was just surreal. I had the weirdest dream. I guess it was like, I don't know if it was early Sunday morning or early Monday morning, but I woke up and I couldn't quit thinking about it. And I'm not, I don't have a lot of charismatic moments. Um, I don't have a lot of like, just real kind of like out there deals. But this was so weird. There was this conveyor belt and it was it was dropping off these big cubes of ice, not like the ones like in the cartoons like back in the day, but like these big cubes of ice. And so it's like, boom, dropping this cube of ice and it's moving across and then there would be another one and then it would be there and then another one would come out and it would be there. Like, I don't know why I had that dream. I'm like, what are these ice cubes doing? But I'm standing up and I'm watching these ice cubes go across the conveyor belt and then one of them came out and it was, it was brown, like kind of yellowish brown. Like you could tell like whatever, like the water had been contaminated that made that one ice cube. But every other ice cube was perfect. And this is where you're gonna think I'm making this up. This is one of those preacher stories. But I'm not kidding you. Behind me, like right over my shoulder was Jesus. I never turned around, I never looked, I just knew it was him. And he said, that one's me. And I said, what are you talking, that's not you. And I got like upset and I got frustrated and all of my like, all my learning, all my knowledge, all my like book smart theology stuff, like it just left and I was like, that's not you. And, uh, and I knew it was him and I knew that it was like the most gentle voice you've ever heard. Like, that one's me. And then I woke up and it was just haunting. And I thought about it all day yesterday. It was one of those things. I didn't tell anybody. I just thought about it all day. I was like, that was the weirdest dream. A conveyor belt of ice and Jesus was behind me. What did I eat on Sunday night? Um, I mean, Jordan, we were here till like seven o'clock. It seemed like set. Like we were had like a 15 hour day. It was a long day. But this morning I woke up and I told Heather, I said, Heather, Heather gets up at five every morning. She's out of the house by like 630 to go to school teaching. And, uh, and so I was up and I said, I had this dream yesterday. And you know, you don't remember dreams like 24 hours later. And I told her the story. And when I got to the part where Jesus said, that one's me, she interrupted and she said, because of you and because of me, that one's him. I was like, yeah, that's, that's it. Because he did, all, because he took it all on himself, he gives us grace upon grace. And as a result that we can have grace upon grace, we can ask for mercy upon mercy because he became the gross one. And the problem is we're so blind we don't even know it. 
He has to literally take the flashlight and shine it in our eyes and say, that's called light. You were in the dark. And it hurts and it's uncomfortable, and that's his truth. But once that happens, we can come to life in him. And so here's what we're going to do as we wrap up tonight. Normally we have like two songs, and then, we, and then I teach for too long or a long time because I just try to copy what we do on Sundays, and you know, we, like, we like to teach here. But tonight we're going we're gonna to end. I still talk long, and I appreciate you listening, but you talk too. That was great. Uh, I love table talk. But we're going to have a, something that I don't know that we've done in a long time here. And we're going to turn this into like a makeshift altar. And if you grew up going to a church that did this, then it's awesome. And if you're like, what is he talking about? That's fine. But we're going to play about three worship songs. And I think sometimes it's just good to have a physical response and just say, Lord, I just want to be honest with you. I want to talk to you. I want to pray. And so if you feel like it would be good for you to move as we're singing, you can just come up here and you can kneel down and you can just talk to the Lord. You can thank him for his grace. You can ask him for mercy. If you're like me and you were 17 and you realize like, I just don't know that I really am a Christian. Well, that's the Lord enlightening you that you're not really a Christian. And that's where you would call upon his grace and you would come to know the Lord. But maybe you want somebody to pray for you. We've got, we're going to have a, a few folks over here and a few folks over here. You can come to them and you can just say, hey, I'm so-and-so. Will you pray for me? You can be as specific or as just, you can just say, I'm not going to go into it. Just pray for me. And I think it would be good for us to have, we do a lot of listening and we do a lot of talking and we do a lot of reading. I think it would be good for us just to have some response time for the Lord. If at the end of the night, God has done something big in your life or something you want to talk about, I'll be here. Jordan will be here. We'll be here at least until the things are cleaned out of the room. We'd love to talk with you. The folks you're praying with would love to talk to you. If God does something big in your life, just let us know before you go. But why don't you stand? And I'm going to pray for us. Father, it's a beautiful Tuesday night. I thank you for everybody that decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hear about the Lord. I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm going to do church on Tuesday night. Lord, I trust that you are visiting us in this room. We know you're here. But Lord, I trust that you're doing a special work of grace in some people's lives. Not just your graciousness that you give us all the time, but a special work of grace. Would you help us just to respond? to pray, to be prayed over, to surrender to you. Lord, would you move in this place? As Paul said to the churches, may the grace and peace of Jesus be on all of us tonight. It's in his name we pray, amen.